You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. I was under the belief that the role of an advocate was a relatively new profession that started about 15 years ago. Paul Eisenberg, my guest today, is an advocate with over 30 years of experience. His long-term understanding and history of advocacy helps him draw on a wide range of experiences in his practice. We talk about advocacy in the past, the present, and the future, and we get to know a little bit more about Paul himself. Enjoy the conversation. Paul Eisenberg, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. You're welcome. It's nice to have you here, and today we're going to talk about being an advocate. I think uh, talking with you, you've probably been an advocate longer than anybody else I've spoken with. And to help us understand what it is you cover, what sort of services do you provide people as an advocate? Um, So as an advocate, I I, uh, represent families um, who have children with disabilities, and they can be all over the place in terms of what disabilities are from your more traditional children who have autism and mental retardation all the way up to kids who have learning disabilities and more of your disabilities sort of like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, um, you know, things like that. Uh, and, and in my representation, I attend meetings that occur at school, uh, schools, uh, whether they be individual education or programming meetings or IEP meetings, or what's called 504 meetings. These are meetings where um, students have a a disability that affects a major life area Mm -hmm. and need certain accommodations educationally in order to um, make things better for them uh, in school. And what parts of California do you usually cover? Uh, My territory runs uh, all of Orange County, um, parts of northern San Diego, also cover the Inland Empire um, and what I would call the the southern portion of Los Angeles. Um, so I, I don't, as a rule, go to uh, LAUSD anymore. I did that for like 15 years. <laughs> so I kind of did, did my wars at LAUSD, and I prefer not to have to go back and do that if I don't have to. Um, <laughs> but um, there, are, there are southern parts of, of LA, as we call them, uh, Manhattan Beach, Torrance, things like that. Um, that I, those kinds of smaller districts that I will work in. Okay, gotcha. So, and we talked a little bit about this before the show. What influenced your decision to be an advocate? You mentioned that in the beginning you were considering being a marriage and family therapist, but you've been an advocate for quite a while now. So how did that happen? You know, um, I've always been, ever since I was really young, like the age of five, knowing that I really enjoyed talking with people and, and to some degree helping people. And so it was a sort of a natural transition to me when I started uh, volunteering back in the the, uh, early 80s, working with autistic children on Saturdays and found that I just had a real passion for it. Um, And uh, so for me, it was just sort of like a natural transition to, instead of being a marriage and family therapist, to start working with children with disabilities um, and, and trying to help their parents out with their kids' needs. And so being that you started so long ago, how have you seen the role of an advocate change from your first beginnings to where it is today? Has it changed for the better or the worse, more intense? I don't know. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, I don't know if I could say it's gotten better or worse. It's just evolved. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I would say the biggest thing that I've seen is that over the years we've seen, um, or I've seen, uh, the, 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 um, area of education become very unfortunately litigious, um, and at times very adversarial. And what that means to me is that we sort of lost touch with the needs of the individual student and in becoming more of, um, you know, who can lawyer up first and, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and come up with, you know, the, the funds needed to be able to um, uh, litigate rather than advocate. I see. Is it possible to understand why that happened? I mean, usually there's always blame on both sides with most in, any issue, but do you have a sense of what changed that made it become more of an adversarial relationship or approach for parents or schools as well? Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, um, I think, and this is not necessarily putting blame, but I think school districts felt that it was easier to, rather than put the money into education and helping students to basically defend themselves um, for fear of, um, you know, being litigated out of out of existence. Um, I think that, you know, parents who are well-meaning would, would hire some attorneys who and this is a very small segment that would you know, intentionally litigate versus actually, you know, advocate and trying to help the needs of the kids. I mean, they often would say that they were there to help, but at the end of the day, their bottom line was how much money were they making? And I think to some degree, you know, school districts would fight, fight back and fight back the only way they could, which is, you know, um, litigating themselves. So, um, I, I, I guess I'm concerned and have been concerned for a long time that instead of putting the money into helping kids and educating kids and, and meeting their needs, they're more interested in, in a sense, um, you know, keeping themselves in existence and, um, you know, putting themselves in a position where, you know, they can um, uh, do things in a way that uh, keeps themselves in existence versus helping kids. And I know that that can sound kind of cruel, but... Mm-hmm what I've seen. So do you find some districts are more difficult than others or what you're talking about now crosses most districts? You know, I think some are better than others. Um, but I think at a common level, you know, once you start, um, you know, looking at your, your, your bottom line in terms of given a, a certain amount of dollars and how that money is going to be spent, um, you then unfortunately then bring in the the attorneys to kind of figure out the best way to mm-hmm. you know parse, parcel that money out and and what's the best way to uh, meet your students' needs but not go bankrupt. Okay, I understand. So one thing I'm curious about is when do you find people call you? So you're an advocate. You're there to help to serve the people, perhaps help them to feel better that they have some control over. Their, their child's education. What, at what point do they usually call you in and ask you to help? At what point in the process, I should say? Um, for the most part, it's when they're um, fed up. It's when they're just mm-hmm. um, try to work things out themselves, <clears throat> really feel, <clears throat> excuse me, unheard, um, and feel like the only way that they're going to get heard is by hiring somebody to help them. Um, and And so it's, it's it's basically comes from a very reactive model, not a proactive model, mm-hmm. and and one where to some degree it's more fear based than anything else. So you know you mentioned that they're fed up, proactive versus reactive model. 
then what do you feel is the best time for somebody to contact an advocate? Should it be at the point that they, when they're fed up, as you mentioned, or should it be prior to that? I think it's prior to that. I think it's, it's when you have, know that you have a child with a disability and you're not sure what you should do. I think the best course of action is to sit down with somebody who does have an expertise in this area and find out not only what your rights are, but what would be the best way to proceed. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, as parents, um, when your child is sick, rather than trying to heal the child yourself, you take mm-hmm. the child to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that when you have a disability, you're sick, but when you have a disability and you don't know what you're dealing with, the best thing to do is to take it to somebody who can help provide you information that you don't already have. So what keeps you going for all these years as an advocate? Because there certainly must be times when it's frustrating, and I guess there obviously are times when it's fantastic. What sort of things keep you going, or is there a specific story or a memory that helps keep you going along with what you're doing today? You know, I think for me, it's always been helping people and helping others. Um, uh, As I kind of realize about seven years or so ago, um, I uh, accepted Jesus Christ into my life and became a Christian. And I think that really brought into focus why I've been doing this my entire life, Mm -hmm. because at the core, I I really enjoy helping people. And, you know, that to me is the ultimate in terms of why I continue to do this. Um, If I'm not helping somebody and I'm not feeling like I'm helping somebody, then, you know, I I think that um, I'm, I'm probably needing to stop. So I had a question regarding, say, advice. Just say I was younger than I am, which would be quite, I'd have to be quite a few years younger. But and I was interested in becoming an advocate, and I called you up and I said, "Hey, Paul, look, you've been an advocate for a little while. What should I know? What should I do? And should I do this career? What advice would you have to somebody new to advocacy?" Um, it's a good question. I think that you know my my response is basically um, gain all the knowledge you can before you start helping somebody else out. Um, mm-hmm. I think people think it's, it's easy to, to walk into a meeting and sit down and, and help somebody. But I also believe that you can actually do more harm than good, um, especially if you're passing on the wrong information or misinformation. Okay. So I do think that gaining a lot of knowledge first um, is a good way to, to really get involved in this business. Um, and then study and learn how to um, you know, be a negotiator because a lot of what I do is negotiation. And when you think about, let's say, challenges that an advocate faces today, is that part of it that you need to be a better negotiator than maybe you thought you had to be? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, people in this business sometimes uh, become extremely emotional when it comes to, you know, helping others. And although that's, mm-hmm one way of looking at it, in my mind, it's not the best way. Um, you know, I, I think that keeping a level head through this entire process helps you be objective at a time when emotions are running high, high, <clears throat> and it's very easy to become subjective. Yeah, that's right. So let's say I'm a parent and you're, I've, you know, I'm working with you as an advocate and we're going to an IEP meeting. It's going to be an emotional meeting. What sort of advice, maybe you've already said this, do you give to a parent at that time for the media on how they should behave. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, I, I think you have to be true to who you are as a person okay. um, and not change just because the, the landscape is changing and, and you're sitting across from somebody who's 
purposely, you know, poking you in a way to try to gain your, uh, um, getting your emotions out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do spend a lot of time with my parents kind of walking them through the entire process and basically letting them know that they're not there anymore, you know, for themselves. They have somebody there who's working with them and, uh, you know, basically trying to remain calm through this entire process. All right, Paul, we've come to the end of our time here. What's the best way for someone to reach out and contact you? Um, you know, I have a, I have a website. Um, my website is uh, www.advocate4mykidsplural.com. So it's A-D-V-O-C-A-T-E, the number four, mykids, K-I-D-S.com. So that's my website. Um, my number is area code 714-235-3319. My uh, email address is pauleisenberg123 at yahoo.com. All that information is also at my website, and that's the easiest way to uh, get in touch with me. All right, and as always, we'll make sure we have all that information in the show notes as well. Paul Eisenberg, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciated talking with you. You're quite welcome. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.